Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Towards Lozada, wraparound, loose puck. They hack and whack. Callian denied it tight. It squints in. It's Arthur Callian. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Moore chips it for Deneau. Back to Moore. He'll hang on. Square it up. Gavrikov. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Back in October, Jim Fox and Nick Nixon joined me to identify and discuss the 10 biggest questions facing the LA Kings heading into the 2022-23 season. Now with one game left in that season and still no idea who the Kings will face in the playoffs, we decided to revisit those questions and how the answers wound up shaping the season. These types of episodes are frankly my favorite because I get to hang out with Nick and Jim for an hour and just talk about Kings hockey. This one was no exception. Hope you enjoy it. One game left on the schedule, so it felt like the perfect time to go ahead and revisit the 10 questions we asked at the start of the season. In order to do that, joining me once again, Jim Fox and Nick Nixon. Jim, how are you doing tonight? Jesse, doing great. Thanks very much. And Nick, how are you doing tonight? Doing uh, wonderfully well and uh, looking forward to the postseason once again. That's right. So let's go ahead and uh, just start with question number 10, which was how will the rest of the Pacific Division perform? Jim, we'll start with you. Any, looking back on it now at the end of the season, any major surprises coming out of the Pacific Division? Uh, The only thing I would say, yeah, two, uh, Calgary's disappointment. And Seattle, who we I thought was going to be much improved, but I didn't think they were going to get to the position they are now. So that's those are the things that stand out to me. Um, again, we've been looking at Calgary's numbers, the analytics, and everything is great except for goaltending. So that's where it hurt them. And then when you go to Seattle, it just seems like so much depth. Everyone helping out scoring, and that's how they're winning games. Nick. At the beginning of the season, I thought we would see Vancouver capitalize on the momentum they built at the end of last season. Instead, we got just a repeat of last season. Slow start, coaching change, and then momentum at the end. Yeah, and and like we saw at the end of last year when Bruce Boudreau took over, the team improved a bit, didn't make the playoffs. Same scenario this year. Uh, They made the coaching change, uh, Boudreau out and Rick Tockett in, in in January, and and their record, uh, well over 500 with, with Rick Tockett. You know, I, I look at that team, and I think I mentioned this at the start of the season, a lot of talent, and I can't figure out why they're not more competitive. Is it because the other teams in the Pacific are that much better than they are? Uh, 
Uh, is it their goaltending? I know they had issues this year. Demko was hurt. I think he missed about three months. But boy, they've got some good pieces there. Uh, and and to me, good pieces to build around moving forward now that, you know, they hope that they have the right coach for the right team. So, yeah, Vancouver kind of puzzles me and has for a couple of years. Uh, with Seattle, like Jim mentioned, uh, we thought they'd be better. They were. And uh, it's interesting, and we can probably expand on this a little bit later on, but Early in the season, uh, we had a conversation with Zach Dooley, the Kings beat reporter, about the goaltending in the division. And every team in the Pacific at one time or another had goaltending issues. Jim touched on Calgary. Seattle, uh, Grubauer gets off to a bad start. And ex-King Martin Jones comes in and really saves their season, uh, much like Phoenix Copley. Uh, did with the Kings. So, yeah, uh, good for Seattle. Uh, Jim mentioned the depth. Veneers probably is the front runner for Rookie of the Year. Uh, Vince Dunn on the blue line having a wonderful season. And Martin Jones, uh, you know, certainly has more victories in goal than any other goaltender uh, that's played for them this season. So, yeah, and then Calgary, you know, they, they, they two big guys lead, Goudreau, Kachuk, uh, they bring in Kadri, they bring in Huberto, and it just seemed like they just couldn't mesh. They couldn't get anything going. I don't think they won three games in a row uh, until late in, in the regular season. So they were kind of treading water and just, you know, couldn't catch up, you know, when when it came to uh, the end of the regular season. Felt like every team had a period of volatility. It felt like a weird season for multiple teams in the division to me, Jim. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, early on, you know, everyone was bad mouth in the, you know, as, well, I'm going to say the Pacific, you know, just and early on, the records weren't there. And then, you know, you get into March, and April and the hottest teams in the league. I had my little theory there and I have nothing to back it up other than I know that the Kings schedule was very difficult early. And then when we got to March, we had a whole bunch of home games. And if if our traveling partners in the Pacific are the same, maybe that just helps you get to an area where maybe the rest of the league might be getting a little bit tired and you're refreshed because you're more at home. Where early on, it was really difficult schedule for the Kings to start. Mm -hmm. I remember complaints early in the season from Eastern located media that it was unfair that Boston, Toronto, and Tampa had all but locked in their playoff spots early. And, you know, how how tragic it was that one of these powerful teams would be out in the first round. And now you look at the standings and I think I think every team in the playoffs from the Pacific has a better record than the Tampa Bay Lightning. So just goes to show you, I suppose. But we're going to talk about the Kings here today, not the rest of the Pacific Division. So the next question was, what role will injury and illness play in the 2022-23 season? Obviously, that was because of the injuries that occurred last season. But, Nick, injury definitely did play a role this year. Yeah, and for the most part, the Kings were uh, a pretty healthy team. And, you know, you, you dissect the season if you go month by month. Kings had winning months every month, uh, starting, obviously, in October, and a pretty healthy team, a pretty healthy back line. Uh, the top-end players, Kempe, Kopitar, Fiala, uh, Philip Deneau, 
Victor Arvidsson. I mean, they were there almost every night. And it's interesting, uh, Jim talked about some of the hottest teams in the league down the stretch being from the Pacific. Well, the Kings were in that group until they had injuries. And I think the only time all season they've had four players out was uh, the final 10 games or so, 12 games uh, here in the regular season. That, of course, being Fiala, uh, Gabe Velarde, Mikey Anderson missed five, but he returned late in the regular season. And, uh, you know, it was it, Adler. Adler got hurt in Vancouver in what might have been his final game as a player in, in, a, in the city where he played for 15 years. But, yeah, I mean, health-wise, the Kings were in pretty good shape, and they showed that they could stay healthy and finally get good, solid, you know, consistent goaltending, which they did from December on, they could be a factor in, in, in the Western Conference. And if they can be reasonably healthy going into the playoffs, they're going to be a, they're going to be a tough team for anybody they face. Jim, it feels like every time the Kings were faced with a difficult lineup decision this year, that's when the health issue would pop up. So they had yeah. a bunch of guys playing well, and then all of a sudden Trevor Moore can't be available for whatever it was, a few weeks, or Arthur Kalia wasn't available. And then at the end, it's just sort of bad timing with four guys out at the same time. You know, when I look back on the season for what the injuries is, Kaliev, he just hasn't got back to, up to speed, literally. Mm -hmm. And I think he'll learn from this because I know that Artie did a much better job coming into camp this season, prepared and fitness-wise. But I think now he understands what elite fitness is going to have to be. So when you do get hurt, it doesn't hurt you as much because you're just so fine-tuned. It really not, it kind of knocked him off, derailed his season. Same with Velarde to a certain extent. I mean, you know, he he had it going. He had it going real good. and. Came back and had, you know, it just, that that's what I feel for the most. Fiala, of course, at the end, you miss him. Uh, Trevor Moore probably going into the playoffs, not as confident as he once was. And everyone hoping he can get that back because we saw last year with the with the balance the Kings could have, if you have Fiala healthy in the lineup and you have the Deneau line working like they did, you know, did last year, keep Kopitar's line going the way they are, then all of a sudden you're a tough matchup. So yeah, didn't didn't derail the season by any means, but it hurt individual players. How's that? I think that's a perfect opportunity to transition into the next question, which was number eight. Will any new players have breakout seasons or graduate from the lower leagues? You talked about Arthur Kaliev coming into camp with a new look, but there was another player that you just talked about who came into camp that you had immediately noticed an improvement on, and that's Gabriel Velarde, who had himself, uh, I would argue, a breakout season. Yeah, I think, and it, let's keep it simple here. You know, Gabe was able to work on his physical aspect. He he admitted he's worked on he, the way he, you know, used to be his own worst enemy, just getting down on himself so much. Seemed to have more of an even keel thing. And for that, for him, when he went to even keel, it just, it brought the positive to the forefront even more. So, yeah. Right from day, you know, right from day one, I just noticed something different, and uh, yeah, it turned into positive, and let's let's just hope, because I think you know that the Kings with Fiala 
and Velarde being perhaps their two best one-on-one players, uh, I think that's a big hole. And Jesse, if if I can jump in here, Jesse, um, just to play off what Jim was talking about, if you look at some of the younger forwards we've seen in the lineup on a regular basis this year, Velarde, Byfield, Kapari, Arthur Kaliev, to me, Velarde was the one player, and I've seen this throughout the season, really from the start of this season, poised when he has the puck and poised when he's in a good shooting area and poised when he's battling one-on-one in the corners or around the net. And you look at his numbers. If you look at Velarde's shots on goal, Byfield, Kapari, Kaliev, they don't really wow you with their average shots per game. But Velarde, because I think he's matured to the point where he's confident, I don't know if he's slowed the game down a little bit. Jim can probably answer that better because he was a forward as well. But Velarde is the only one in that group to me that when he has the puck, he's he's got that confidence. He doesn't have to rush it. He can wait for the right time, the right release, and he's got a great release. So I, I think that's what I've seen this year from Velarde that's that, that that's made him kind of progress maybe a bit more than the other players I mentioned. And all I would add there, Nick, is I think that he really solidified the other parts of his game, meaning the board work, uh, reliability in his own zone, getting the puck. He did all those things. He just he got to another level there. So then I think he could concentrate and just focus on his offense even more because he felt that his baseline of being trustworthy, he really established that. And, uh, I mean, what was the goal he scored? The power play goal at Crypto.com where he had received the pass down low, a couple of stick handles. I mean, it was – that's a yeah. top five – I think it was against St. Louis. Yeah. Top 5% players in the league can do that. That's it. I mean, to have that hands and stick handle in a, in a phone booth like that, that that's impressive. And, and that's the type of play that, you know, you'd like to see at some point – the Byfields, the Kaparis, the Kaliyevs make. Uh, and, and that's why I think Gabe, in the offensive scheme of things, has just uh, uh, grown a bit quicker than some of the other young players. So good for Gabe Velarde. Uh, and, and we'll probably transition here, Jesse, to, to Byfield. I mean, aside from the finish, which is going to be important if he wants to be a top forward in the NHL, his game and a lot of the other areas, like Jim mentioned about Gabe, boy, that's been uh, a marked improvement this year and and has helped make the Kings a better and a deeper team up front. Well, actually, I was going to ask Nick, and so I'll put it to Jim. The other three players that you mentioned, Nick, Kupari, Kaliev, and Byfield, it almost feels like each of them has a component of Gabe's game, but none of them have all of them. So Gabe can stick handle in phone booth, can shoot, can use his size, you know, and skating, puck protect, can win a board battle when it comes to him. A guy like Kupari, for example, we know how well he skates. We know how well he handles the puck, is missing that shot, is missing that distribution. Kaliev has the shot, but maybe doesn't have the speed, maybe isn't moving through the neutral zone. Byfield is winning board battles, is moving the puck around, but isn't is feels reluctant to shoot, I'll say. Um, is it fair to say, Jim, that each of those guys has one skill, but they need to incorporate all of them to reach the kind of season that Gabe had? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, with Kupari for sure. 
Arthur, I think he I think he did. I think Artie did get to a point where his foot speed looked good to me. It looked like much improved. And then, you know, broken foot and all of a sudden he just he just couldn't come back from that. Let's hope maybe, you know, you can just catch that. And then, yeah, Quentin's probably Quentin's probably he's come the farthest of all of them, you know, but he's been put in a great position, needs to finish more. And we know that. And everyone wants him to be, you know, the, the best player in the world. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, I think he's on a timeline that the Kings front office kind of predicted, so to speak, that they realized it was going to take him longer. But um, it's one of those small things that they're having him focus on right now, but it's the hit the net issue. And I, you know, I, I think I had a conversation with him early. The biggest difference coming to the NHL, you can tell that goaltending. They're really good. And so then you start to be a little bit too fine and you don't hit the net. We're going to go out of order here because the last question on our list would absolutely inform the next two questions if we went in order. So I'm going to bump, will the Kings seek to upgrade the roster by acquiring any more players from outside the organization from the end? And we're going to address that one right now because obviously one Big trade at the deadline to acquire Vladislav Gavrikov and Jonas Korpisalo. I guess we'll just start from the defensive end because that would have been the next question on the list, which is how did the defense evolve from last season? Way more health this year on the blue line, Nick, but the addition of Gavrikov changes the Kings blue line dramatically. And we all knew. We we talked about this at the start. Uh, left shot defenseman with size Mm -hmm. and we kept waiting all season for the right time and it was the deadline and the right deal came along and you know the name Chikrin was thrown out there has been for a couple of years he did get dealt and obviously not to the Kings and almost instantly hurt when he was exactly yeah (laughs) uh but you know Gavrikov uh, comes in and uh fills the bill of that need Uh, you check the box off left shot guy with some experience with size great reach and uh he's been wonderful he's, he's just fit in so well uh playing most of his games with Matt Roy obviously leading into the playoffs and then you know the Jonathan Quick era has come to an end I mean it had to come to an end at some point somehow and it it happened this way and the Kings got uh another goaltender in return and now they can evaluate Gavrikov and Corpusalo had they have uh, evaluated them down the stretch in the regular season. Now they get a good look at them in the playoffs and see if they're two players that are going to be worthy of being re-signed moving forward. Jim, maybe the biggest evolution in the defense this year is a healthy Drew Doughty for a full season. Certainly helped. Sir, I mean, it got it got Drew back to, a, I think, a level that we saw. You know, I'm not going to say Norris Trophy, but he got back to a level that, we were used to seeing. I just want to touch on one guy, and I know it's this is the lightning rod. <laughs> that is Sean Dersey. He was put in a tough position. He played a lot of the season, you know, out of position, so to speak, to the point now where he's comfortable on the left side. Still makes you know that one mistake or whatever that stands out. But the biggest improvement, and we're going to, it's one of your questions maybe later, but the biggest improvement 
no question, the power play. Mm-hmm. And Sean Dersey had a big impact on that second unit to the point where the Kings were going back and forth. There was a point there where who knew what the first unit was because it was done so well. So I think you you just have to tip your hat a little bit to Sean for, you know, hanging in there, learning, maturing a little bit, but also being a big component of the biggest improvement on the Kings. Jim, let me ask you a question about Sean Dersey about being a player and about being a member of the media because there were some conversations over the last week amongst some fans online about the game where Dersey and Kempe both get in fights and it was pointed out that Dersey was more likely to fight last season than this season and I offered up the possibility that maybe this year with added responsibility of trying to learn the left side having an increased role trying to focus on that role and his new deployment that maybe that shift of focus might have taken some of his edge off. I don't want to ask him personally because I don't want to get in his head, especially not at this point in the season. Is that the sort of question that if I asked him, is that the kind of question that actually players don't want to be asked or, or even if they don't care that could actually mess with a player? And and how do you handle questions like that when they come up in your own mind? No, I think, I think his focus point shifted because he had something to focus on that he was not used to doing. Mm-hmm. He had to spend. You can imagine how much time you think preparing for a game. You know, you're going through some visualization, you're going through some plays, some breakouts, all the, and he had to. He had to have a shift. I mean, I, I can imagine that he did. Now, is Sean a heavyweight? No. So if if I think he's fine, and I think he stood up as much as he possibly could. Uh, I know there's a lot of debate out there about are the Kings tough enough, are they big enough, all this, all that. But um, all I'm going to say is this. When he does step up, step up and get into a scrap, I'm not going to complain about how many times he's not done it this year. <laughs> Fair enough. I just Interesting, interesting Jess. I'll just yep. uh, interject here. Uh, we've heard the same comment from fans on our, our post-game talk show. Mm-hmm. You know, Kings got out hit tonight. Do they need more size? <laughs> yeah. Well, let me throw this back at the fans. Are the Kings getting better and better since the start of the season? It's not an issue. If it was an issue, it would have been addressed. The game has changed. You look at all the teams the Kings potentially could be matched up with. You know, who would you say is a tougher team than L.A.? Uh, Vegas, uh, is Colorado tougher? Is Dallas, you know, from that physical standpoint, it's just not the way the game is played. So like we had a game recently where, uh, the Kings got out hit by a margin of like 40 to 20, but the Kings won the game. Nobody calls in about that. Right. You win the game and they've won a lot more than they've lost. So it is not an issue right now to me, if I'm the GM, I think, oh, we got to address this. You do it, but it's not an issue. The way the team, the way the game is played nowadays, uh, and I think it has changed certainly. And and maybe the the point on hits are is well taken. I I want to know who is giving the hits because most nights the team that leads in hits is the team that did not have the puck. 
No, it's a double-edged sword for sure. But that does bring us to the next half of the uh, trade question. And Jim, you talked to Daryl Evans and Jack Jablonski about it this morning, and you said it perfectly. Question is, how will the goaltenders split their time in net? The question is still relevant, but at the time we asked it at the start of the season, it was two different goalies. Um, It was Peterson and Quick. Yeah, I guess if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong here. I mean, what I thought at the beginning of the season, I was mentioning, I think, numerous times. and went over it time and time again. And I, I believed it. I believed that Jonathan Quick would get 31 games played, Al Peterson would get 10 games played, and Phoenix Copley would get 37 games played. <laughs> How is that? <laughs> That's, that was an amazing <laughs> prediction on your part. Yes, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that and I was, thought the backup to Copley would be Corpus Allo at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that. You know, getting Corpus Allo is interesting, and I know I've mentioned it because I heard it from someone else about how, based on the numbers, just the numbers alone, Quick's numbers and Corpus Allo's numbers, the Kings trade kept Corpus Allo away from Vegas. Now, again, I, I discussed in the conversation with, with Jack and Daryl, my biggest fear is meeting up with Vegas in the playoffs at some point and Jonathan Quick having this emotional resurgence and uh, you, know, you know what can happen there because we've seen that. But easygoing Phoenix Copley, what, what a story. I mean, what a story. That's great. You know, Masterton nominee, perseverance, dedication. You know, did he stand on his head? Not crazy, but now I'm looking at his numbers right now. 2.64, save percentage over 90, which, you know, that was a king's struggle for itself. His numbers are there too. Nick, there's a quote that I've been attributing to you and Daryl when the subject of Phoenix Copley comes up. I, I can't remember when it happened, but it was a few weeks after he joined the team. And I was driving home from a game and a fan called into King's Talk and I was listening on my drive home. And the fan asked you and Daryl if you were concerned that Phoenix Copley might fall back to earth. Yeah. I, I believe I it was you. And, yeah. and the answer was, there's not far to fall if you're not flying that high to begin with. <laughs> um, and Jim sort of hit the nail on the head there. Phoenix Copley has been... I I hate to use the word adequate because it sounds so insulting, but he has been yeah. adequate, but not you know, excellent. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, and how many times have we or Kings fans said, Oh, the bubble's going to burst. Right. I mean, he's going to lose six in a row. Well, he won seven in a row. Then recently at the end of the season, he went nine straight starts without losing in regulation. So the bubble never did burst in the regular season. <laughs> right. Well, it never got, <laughs> it never got inflated enough to burst. Right. No. And, and to his credit, I mean, he's still, a, you know, we've talked about that earlier. He solidified the position, but the Kings became a better defensive team as the season moved on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were healthy on the blue line. They decided uh, after that long road trip in what early December when things went south and they gave up six in the third period in Buffalo that, okay, what's going on here? We're a better team than this. But you've got to give Copley his marks. I mean, how many goaltenders have come in and done what he's done in the last 30 years. 
when he wasn't even counted on to be part of the mix. Best goaltender in King's history. Jonathan Quick, how did he measure his game? Wins. Wins and losses. Let's measure, let's measure Phoenix Copley the same way. I think Phoenix Copley does measure himself the same way, Jim, and his media availability after the Masterton nomination yeah. actually reminded me a tremendous amount of Jonathan Quick. Every time the question was put to him, is this a personal victory? Are you finally able to, you know, take credit for something individually? And his answer was no, no, no. It's the team. We've got other things to worry about. You know, thank you for the honor, but moving on. Um, yeah, we're still working on more things to accomplish, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and here's I, the thing. The other thing with Phoenix, um, has he ever had this opportunity in his career where he could play this many games in a row? In Washington, the one season, uh, I think he played quite a bit because of injuries. Uh, I think Holtby was there. Uh, so, you know, you get the opportunity. You, you want to seize it, obviously. And and this is really, I think, the first time in his career, and he's about 31 years old now, that he's had the opportunity to be a number one goaltender. And again, look at his record with the Kings this year. Now, with the upcoming playoffs, a lot of us are wondering, and a lot of the fans are wondering, who does Todd McClellan start in game number one? Well, Phoenix Copley doesn't have any playoff experience. Corpusalo has, what, seven or eight games when he was in Columbus. But every goaltender that's been great in the playoffs over the years, and let's reference Jonathan Quick, at one point started a playoff game with no playoff experience. And look how it turned out for Jonathan Quick in 2012 and 2014. So, okay, experience, we all let the guy show us what he can do if he gets the opportunity. Jim, this morning, Todd McClellan gave me the first indication, talking to the media, that he knew exactly what he wanted to do when it came to the goalie rotation in the playoffs. Did it feel the same way to you, or was I just eager to read into it? He no, didn't tell us I, what he I, wants to do, but it felt like he knows. No, yes, I think they've had their meetings. They've had, the, you know, it might be answered in the last game against Anaheim if they go out of rotation. <laughs> that would answer the question. Um, because then, you know, then you've got another three, four days before playoffs start. So that would mean Jonas hadn't played in over a week. Yeah, we'll see. It's been a, an interesting season in net, uh, to be sure. Next question, Jim, you referenced it earlier. The question was, will the special teams play improve? I mean, that's just an unquestionable yes, right? It's, I mean, it, it's one-sided in that the power play, but that so much overwhelms anything else. I do believe the penalty kill has improved, but I still think and that's the most – we focus more on the power play, but has been so perfectly explained. When you don't score on the power play, you don't trail. When you don't stop a power play on the penalty kill, you do trail because the other team has scored. So it penalty kill is more important. It, it, you, you, 
We can talk about keeping momentum going. If you do not score on your own power play, you have not given up anything. Maybe the, maybe momentum. But when you when the penalty kill doesn't work, you are now trailing or you are you have given up a goal. And that goes up on the board. But the penalty kill has just been, man. You know, and it's been it, it was good break from day one. Jess, I remember having a conversation with you and the, the Early on, and it wasn't the power play percentage wasn't that good yet. And I said, Jess, it's only going to get better. We were we were watching. We sat there every day and watched them in practice, and it just kept getting better and better and quicker and faster and pace. And, and man, you know, Jim Hiller, he's the new guy in the block. He did it. He turned it around. He put players in new positions. He instituted new schemes. He did all of that, and. Uh, it worked. Is it possible, Nick, that when it comes to the penalty kill, even though we have a full season of Drew Doughty, Mikey Anderson is a year older, Matt Roy, Steady Eddie, we have tremendously more stable health on the blue line this year, but it's never been a perfect assembly of players. So you have Dursey moving to the left. He's learning a new position, learning learning a new role for the bulk of the season. He's not exactly the kind of guy you expect to see on a penalty kill. You've got Sean Walker coming back from an injury that kept him out of the lineup for a year that we know takes a year to recover from. Um, comments about size and and well familiar you know, to the fan base. Now that they have Mikey Anderson, Drew Doughty, Gavrikov, Roy, and a Sean Walker who's been playing for a full year, a Sean Dursey who's learned to switch back and forth between positions. Is it possible that the penalty kill gets better just just from experience, just, you know, just as the pieces fall together more comfortably? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it has been better, as Jim alluded to. They've made some adjustments, I think, in January. Uh, to me, they were a little bit more aggressive. Uh, and it's going to be interesting. Because you mentioned the health on the blue line. If they play Edmonton, okay, number one power play in the NHL, best power play in the history of the NHL at 32% plus, never been done before. The Kings have played the Oilers enough where they're going to have, you're not going to shut down McDavid and Dry, so we all know that, but they're going to have a real good book on their power play. And, and the special teams, getting back to the Kings power play, I think eight players this year, double digits on the power play. That's, I think, four from one unit, four from another. I think it's the only team in the league that can boast that. I mean, what's Edmonton's second power play unit? Do they have one? They don't need one. The big guys. They score before they're needed. <laughs> they score. Either that or they stay out for the full two minutes. Yes, right? they do. Yes. You're <laughs> so, right there, Nick. So, you know, uh, you know, with, with injuries and adjustments, but all these guys know have had so much power play experience and success this year that that's going to be, to me, an advantage for the Kings. But getting back to the penalty kill, uh, it has been better. And I'd, I'd like to know moving forward what the numbers are going to be with Gavrikov and Roy as partners killing penalties. I got to think they're going to be improved from what, they have been for the entire season. 
I don't disagree at all that it has been improved, guys and Jesse, but Je we got to keep in one thing. Compared to the rest of the league, the Kings' goaltending save percentage and penalty kill situations was near the bottom. Mm -hmm. We can talk about personnel in front of them, and maybe something did switch or change, but Peterson and Quick did not get it done early. Yeah, since December 1st, I think the team is uh, at 80%, even though on the full season, I believe they're closer to 75. So that'll that'll have an impact. Uh, next question, will the offensive contributions from any players regress? Um, the follow-up question to that was, will any players significantly increase their offensive output? We talked about Gabriel Velarde. Obviously, that's an improvement. But I want to sort of talk about Adrian Kempe right now because he was the big player that I think people were expecting to have some sort of regression. And Jim, I'd argue he not only didn't regress, even though the numbers might not have taken a huge leap forward, Todd was quick to point out to us early in the season that last year a lot of his goals were empty netters. This year, I believe very few of them were. I mean, he's had himself a heck of a follow-up season to last year. Yeah, and on a, like, on a marked line, right? He's on the top line. Mm -hmm. So he's going to get the toughest matchups, the defense pairs, all those types of things. So, no, I mean, I think it's important for Adrian that, you know, he's – he really – the thing I just noticed about him starting back to last year was he was more comfortable knowing how important he was to the team. And he embraced that. I think previous to that, he had skill. We know up the yin-yang. He just had it. and But he you know, never just couldn't put it all together. You know, he was streaky, right? I mean, he'd have all those 10 games, hat trick, but and then he'd go 36 with one goal. But I think that, to me, it's a mental maturity where he became comfortable knowing he was a go-to guy. Nick, any other players leap out to you as having uh... – regression or progression from last yeah. year? Yeah. You know, you look, they had 520 goal scorers, and it's been a long time since the Kings team has boasted that stat. Mm -hmm. Kopitar, Kempe, Arvidsson, Viala, Gabe Velarde. And at times, you had at least one of them on the top three lines, which gives you a real nice balance. More missed games, could have scored 20. Ayafalo missed a number of games, could have scored 20. Uh, Deneau's at, what, 18 as the season winds down. Arthur Kaliev missed games. Uh, could have come close or had 20. So you're talking eight or nine guys. So progression, yeah. Uh, veterans and young guys falling back. To me, there has been nobody that hasn't produced to the point where I expected them to produce. Uh, I, I give Players like Byfield, Kapari, some slack because they're still young. Um, Byfield in the second half, only one goal in, what, the last 32 games, uh, and that was an empty netter. But doing so many other things well uh, as his game improves. But he would be the only guy I would put in there. But, you know, again, he's one of the youngest players. He is the youngest player, isn't he, at 20 years of age. So I, I, can, I, I can cut him some slack. But – yeah, I, I think uh, – well, the Kings are averaging well over three goals a game this year, which they haven't done for years. And uh, so, yeah, good good on all those forwards we mentioned. Uh, to me, they're they're having real solid seasons. And 
had everybody been healthy, boy, you're looking at, uh, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine guys with 20 or more goals. I think the important thing, Nick, and you touched on it, that it's just if you're going to continue to get better as a team, you, you're a young player. It's, you know, the salary cap and all you need young players to always be there. You need to get better and get younger at the same time. And I remember sitting, it's a while ago now, but sitting in on a, a planning meeting at the beginning of the season, Daryl Evans and I were, were invited by Dean to sit in on a planning meeting, Dean Lombardi. And they just talked about how the goal for the season was to get better, but to get younger at the same time. And they did that. And, you know, three or four years later, ended up with two cups. At the uh, beginning of the year, I decided to start tracking how often I named specific players King of the Week and how often I named them a runner-up or honorable mention. I'm going to share with you guys the top five um, as a lead into our final question. From uh, bottom to top, I'll do the top six. Arvidsson, Deneau, Copley, Kopitar, Kempe, and the player with the most made-up points that I assigned based on my King of the Week rankings, uh, Kevin Fiala. And the question at the beginning of the season, Jim, was will Kevin Fiala be the player the Kings hoped he will be? Was he the player you hoped he would be? Well, I was trying to choose my words carefully at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. I think I, this one I'm not joking about. I think I said he will be the most productive King player. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, games played, points per game. I know at the end with the injury, Kopi has a chance to beat him once again. And, you know, that's, man, what a, what a run Kopi's had. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, we've had some bad years, but he's also gone through a five-year period there where the Kings won two Stanley Cups and leads the team every year. But, yeah, Fiala, I really think for the best of the team, he should be on so-called third line i think it just makes the Kings so difficult to match up and he is the dynamic game breaker can win a game by himself type of player and uh you know i think it's well risk at times gets to the point where don't don't do that but he gets a longer leash because Man, can he make it happen? And I, I think he is more than any other player. I think his name is on the board in visit when Kings are playing an opponent. He's the number one list. You just you just got to be aware of him, and I think that helps everyone out. Nick was Kevin Fiala the player you expected? Uh, no, I didn't think he'd be this good. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Same, um, watching him in Minnesota, we play them what three times a year. Uh, when he was in Nashville, he was younger, really hadn't established his game. I did not realize how many things he does well offensively until I see him, saw him every night this year. So, yeah, that's why I say that comment tongue in cheek. Interesting on your list, though, Jesse. Uh, you had all. No Drew Doughty. Are we no. taking Drew da- are we taking Drew Doughty for for, for granted now uh, yes. that he's going le- <laughs> that he's going to lead the ice t- lead the team on ice time for what the 15th straight season he led them as a rookie in ice time at 18 still does at age 33 34 um you know Jim mentioned Andre Kopitar you know he's going to 
if he doesn't lead the team this year, it'll be 14 of his 17 seasons he's led the team in scoring, which is remarkable. I think only one other player in league history has done that for a franchise, and and he's Mr. Hockey. Uh, but um, Drew, Drew Doughty, I mean, every year, every year, the ice time leader. And he's just out there in all the tough situations. He's healthy. The hand injury, wrist, whatever it was last year, has allowed him to get back to the form. And Jim touched on it earlier. Maybe not the Norris Trophy, Drew Doughty, but pretty darn close, pretty darn effective. And and again, I go back to the ice time. He's always in the top five in the NHL. And you don't get that ice time unless you're a real good player. Coaches aren't dumb. <laughs> They're not going to play guys unless they deserve to be out there at key situations. So that I, I, I'm kind of chuckling, Jess, because, yeah, great names on your list. I can see why, but where's Drew? <laughs> A King of the Week is an imperfect uh, award. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Favors offensive players. Um, but, Nick, this morning at practice, there was a conversation about who should win the Norris Trophy. And uh, Jim and I participated in that conversation, as did a few members of the local media. And I was getting very frustrated because a certain San Jose Sharks name kept getting thrown, thrown around. And, Nick, you and I talked about it before the yeah. game on yeah. Monday, and I was getting frustrated then, too. So I just sort of, you know, whipped my phone out and quickly thought to myself, well, this is absurd. I'm just going to look up. Players with the most minutes who have the lowest Corsi, you know, against per 60, which is a silly thing to decide an award on. But I was just looking at it and really, really actually shocked to, to discover that Drew and Mikey are I don't think they're top 10. I think they're top 12. But nonetheless, the two of them together combined are having yet again another amazing season defensively. Yeah, yeah, they really are. And uh, Zach Dooley and I talked about this between periods the other night about uh, the Norris Trophy. It was, well, uh, when uh, Carlson got the two goals to get him to 100 points, and I think he's the first defenseman in just about 30 years to get 100 points. I think the last was Brian Leach. But should he be the front runner? Probably he's going to be. But I pointed this out to, to, to Zach. You look at the top eight scoring defensemen this year in the NHL, and offense has a lot to do with winning the Norris Trophy. We all know that. Nobody that scores 20 points and is a plus 40 is ever going to win the Norris Trophy. But Eric Carlson, Dougie Hamilton, Quinn Hughes, Josh Morrissey, Brandon Montour, Fox, Darlene, Heiskanen, all are having career years with their offensive numbers. And they're all pretty good defensemen. And a lot of them are on winning teams. Cal McCarr is not in that group because he's missed over 20 games this year. He might be the front runner. A Cal McCarr, you know, plus 40, 80 points, probably gets the nod over Eric Carlson. But to me, there are a lot of worthy uh, defensemen to be considered for the award. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I know how voters think. And 100 points by a defenseman, it's tough not to go that route. I'm not saying I would go that route. I'm just kind of predicting what might happen. Right. I'll say this, Nick. If you're going to win the Norris Trophy, defending has to be a strength of yours. 
Let me ask you this, Jim. You're coaching an NHL team. You have a one-goal lead in game seven with two minutes left. The defenseman you like out there, is it Drew Doughty or Eric Carlson? Even at Drew's age. Yeah, and that's they're the same age. They're yeah, same I was age. gonna say they're taken in the same year. I don't want to take anything away from Carlson at all. I'm just and I I can slide a little bit, I can expand, I don't have to stick rigidly to a definition, but I'm just going by the word defenseman. And I need Carlson to be a fixture on the penalty kill for his own team. And I don't think he is. And that's that's something. He's never, that, he, yeah, he's, he's never concerned. killed penalties. He's never killed. When he won the Norris trophies, his yeah. penalty killing numbers were down. Drew Doughty had so many more minutes than, yeah. than a guy like Carlson. Let me throw out, how about Hampus Lindholm? Okay, another guy having career year with offensive numbers, leading the league or near the top and plus minus for a team that's setting all kinds of records. Should he be considered? No question. Is he part of is he part of the success of Boston setting all these records as a team? Are you saying this, Nick? That, um, and I think you are, is that the game? It used to be the defenseman had a green light to pick, you know, the spot to go and join the attack. It's not a green light anymore. It's a must. Yeah. In order to play in the systems that teams play nowadays, you have to go. It's not a decision. You have to go. And uh, we're seeing the numbers reflect that. And maybe Carlson too. But and again, it's tough. I, man, when I see him with the puck, I am scared because he can dangle you. But just by the definition of, you know, I need some defending there. As long and, as we're and, talking about awards. Sorry, Nick, I'm going to hop in here. Um, yeah. As long as we're talking about awards, are either of you comfortable sharing who you voted for for the LA Kings team awards at the end of the season? Sure. All okay. right, Jim, let's start with you then. And we don't know the winners yet, right? We do not, and not at the time of this recording, no. Uh, most valuable player, Andre Kopitar. Best newcomer, Kevin Fiala. Uh, give me the uh, best. Defenseman. Drew Doughty and best. Defensive player, Mikey Anderson. That's my ballot to a T, Nick. I agree with everything. I went with Kopitar as best defensive player. It was close. It was yeah, close. Yeah. It was between yeah. Kopitar and Anderson, but um, I went with Kopitar. I mean, I could have easily gone the other way, but yeah. You guys then, might know this better than I, but I, I felt like in years past, that award, the best defensive player, a goalie has won it. But this year, the ballot said forward or defenseman. My plan was to put Copley in best defensive player because I felt like he deserved something. Right, yeah. But I wasn't prepared to make him MVP. Now, he could have been best newcomer, right? Yeah, but I felt like Fiala needed something too. <laughs> no question. And let's, this is hopefully will continue here. I mentioned it on the air the other night. If Gavrikov had played the full season, mm. The way he has since coming in, he would have given Kevin Fiala a run for his money as best newcomer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the only reason I didn't uh, give Copley a nod there was he, he missed two months. Yeah. But, I mean, the months he did play were very, very good and productive. But, you know, you're looking at the, the big picture, I think, in that type of award or yeah. honor. Rhetorical question, but... Uh, Andre Kopitar is a, a first ballot Hall of Famer in my mind. No, no question. 
No, what he will be. For, he will be. Franchise, what he's done for the world of hockey, coming from where he did. Uh, just that's, I don't know if I've seen a more consistent player than him ever. You know, Dave Taylor, I always felt was, you know, very consistent, you know, but obviously Dave's numbers at the end of his career slipped because he got into a different role. Maybe Andre will go there too, you know, maybe in two or three years when Andre's 73 years old and playing for the Kingston. <laughs> you know? But man, I just, that's a high level consistently. That's, that's impressive. I, I only wish that guys like Kopitar and Dowdy could get more exposure back on the East Coast. I think over the years, players on the West Coast have been slighted because those that vote for the awards just don't see those teams enough. They're not going to stay up late to watch the Kings or Vancouver or San Jose when they had those great players uh, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm I'm with, with Jim here, Jesse. Uh, 17 years in the NHL. Has he really slipped in any area, Kopitar? I mean, <laughs> I never had a – well, the year he was a finalist for the MVP, I think he had 90 points. But that's yeah. – he's always been around 70, 75 every single year, for the most part a plus player. Key situation, face-offs, face-offs taken. Uh, really remarkable, really remarkable. Apologies to whoever came up with this line. I don't remember, so I'm just stealing it. If he was Andy Kopitar – from Saskatchewan instead of Andre Kopitar from Slovenia, <laughs> right? He'd have all of the press, um, you know, and if he played for the Bruins or the Rangers or something instead of the uh, the Kings out here in Southern California. Going to wrap it up, Jim. I know you've got stuff to do, Nick. I know you've uh, coming off the links. Gentlemen, thanks as always for joining me. And I say it every year, but honestly, this is the best part of my job is just getting to talk to the both of you about hockey for an hour. So I really appreciate it. Hey, Jesse, I appreciate all the stuff you do. It's a, it's great hanging out with you every day and talking hockey, and it uh, it certainly makes it enjoyable. And, of course, with Nick, uh, you, Nick Nick fits the Andre Kopitar comparison for excellence. <laughs> and I, I'm completely honest. Excellence and consistency. That's Nick Nixon. The only difference between Nick and Andre is that Nick's already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I appreciate the kind words, and, Jesse, it's always great to – to talk hockey with you and uh you know great stuff great stuff and uh you know th these are topics that you know you'd love to be at a bar with your friends and drink beer and talk for three hours over that's uh and that's what it's all about right we love the game we like talking about it we like watching it well, if I can find a way to sneak onto the flight to Australia, I'm going to hold you to that. Uh... <laughs> if, I only, if I only drank, Nick, I would join you at that bar. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, guys.